0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Well, two weeks ago, this is a continuation, so if you weren't here two weeks ago, I'm going to review just a little bit. I spoke about grace I had the chance uh, for uh, a season of time this spring to have a sabbatical where uh, Dinah and I could get away, we could read, we could rest, we could relax, we could be refreshed, and I decided to focus on the topic of grace, something I certainly would have told you beforehand I knew a lot about. I certainly knew a lot of passages and understood the concept, but as I drank more deeply of it, There's some insights that came to me in the course of that that has refreshed my soul at a deep, deep level. And so two weeks ago, I shared about what grace is, that grace is God's free and unmerited favor. It's shown to uh, guilty sinners who deserve only judgment. That grace is undeserved on our part It is an extravagant, all-inclusive favor of God that He shows to us. I spoke of two, two particular expressions of grace two weeks ago, and I'm going to speak of two more today. The first expression I talked about was common grace. Common grace is that expression of God's favor to all of mankind. He ascribes value and purpose to all people. He he is patient with us even in the midst of our sin. He's choosing to defer or delay or be patient with us, forbearing about our sin for a season of time. He's not instantly punishing us. The other thing he does through common grace is that he even lets wicked people prosper people who don't care about him, who don't love him, don't even think about him, don't even think that he exists. He allows them to prosper in the midst of, as an expression of favor called common grace. But what I said about common grace is common grace has an expiration date. It's when Jesus comes back. And he is going to punish sin, and he's going to take away the prosperity of the wicked, and he's going to restore righteousness and justice as a rule in, in, in this world. He's going to give us a place in that world because of, of Jesus. Common grace is supposed to get a man's attention, to cause them to see, I really don't deserve this, and I deserve far worse than what I'm getting God, why are you doing this? Why me, Lord? And common grace is supposed to lead a person to seek out and understand saving grace. Saving grace is the work of Jesus when he uh, uh, it's the work of Jesus on behalf of mankind. He addresses our need for forgiveness, of sin. He he deals with the shame that we have. He covers that up. He restores us into relationship, and he delivers us from our fear. It's his way of establishing a relationship with us, of giving us a relationship with the Father when we're so far separated from him. Common grace and saving grace. We experience saving grace through faith. We looked at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for I've been saved by grace through faith, and that not of myself, uh, not a result of works, that no man should boast, it is a gift of God. We receive grace by faith, saving grace by faith. It's our Faith is our expression of trust. We transfer our trust from ourselves and our self-effort to make us acceptable to God, and we transfer that to the person of Jesus and what he has done for us. Because what he did for us in showing favor to us is it was undeserved, it was extravagant, and it was all-inclusive. So today I wanna talk about two other expressions of grace. These two expressions of grace are God's expression of favor to believers, to those who are part of his family, to those people who have, who have trusted Christ in saving grace and come into a right relationship with the Father. God makes a distinction between believers and non-believers here. He expresses grace in particular ways to those in his family. And so what I'd like, to, the first expression of grace I'd like to talk about is called abiding grace. This is my term for it. It's most often what we're reading in the New Testament about when, when they're talking about grace in our life. Abiding grace is God's favor imparted to believers. It's His favor imparted to believers. It's undeserved, independent of our behavior, independent of our attitude, even if we don't understand it. God has given us abiding grace. He has entrusted it to us. He's provided for us everything that we need to live a godly life, as we'll see in a moment. It's supposed to be a life lived by faith in Jesus and, and the grace that God has given to us. It is ours to possess. We didn't deserve it. It's already been fully credited to us. It's been deposited with you. That's why it's abiding. it is resting with you. It is taken up as yours. It's already been given to you. It was given at the moment of salvation. when we put our trust in Christ to forgive our sins, to cover our shame and uh, uh, to deal with our fear, he deposited abiding grace to us. He provided he deposited this particular favor, so that he will relate to us and that we would understand that his favor toward us is extravagant and it's all-inclusive. Let's look at 2 Peter um, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. I love this passage. Okay, I, There's been years I've wrestled with this passage. I go back to it. I, I haven't understood it, and every time I read it, I think I understand it at a deeper and deeper level but there's still more riches for me to cultivate out of this passage. But look what it says in 2 Peter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need for for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that though through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in this world caused by evil desires. He expresses his power to give us everything that we need for life and godliness or a godly life, okay? It's how we're supposed to live our life here and now. It's spiritual vitality okay, to live life is what that, uh, that, that godly life is. He says it comes to us through his power. The word power used here is, is dunamis. It's the same word that Paul uses to, to express the power that raised Jesus from the dead. It took that much power to give us a gift, a gift of grace, a gift of abiding grace for us. And he's going to deliver through that much power that it took to raise the dead, Jesus from the dead. He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Not some of what we need. We're fully supplied. We're we're not lacking in anything. All that we need to live a godly life, Jesus has delivered to us. He's imparted it to us, he's deposited it for us. It's in our account, it's under the name Ray Anderson. I have what I need through Christ, everything I need for life and godliness. I have it in its entirety. Two times here he's using this phrase, has given us. In verse three he's using it to say he's given us everything we need. And in verse four he's saying he's given us the very great and precious promises, or another version says, the the precious and magnificent promises of God. The term has given us means gifted. He's graced us with it. He's shown us favor by giving us everything that we need for life and godliness and giving his precious and magnificent promises. He's gifted it to us. It's the same Term used back in Ephesians two eight and nine, where it says, "For by grace you have been saved through faith, and at not of yourselves; it is a gift of God. He gifted it to us. He has given it to us by His grace. That's what He does. He imparts to us something that we don't deserve, but He gives it to us, and He gives it to us in a ab- but abundance. Look at this picture." There it is. A convoy of trucks. Think of this. Everything you need for life and godliness is not on its way to you. It's already been delivered to you. Everything you need for life and godliness has been delivered to you already. That's abiding grace. For you to be able to live a life of faith in this world under the circumstances that you are particularly facing, God has already made available to you everything that you need. It's been delivered to you. Now, I want to help you unpack what's on that convoy of trucks of abiding grace that he he has given to us, okay? Okay. What, uh, part of my sabbatical, I would read books on, on grace, like Transforming Grace by Jerry Bridges or Grace by Max Lucado, and then after I'd read the book, I would kind of have a time of reflection, I'd write down kind of thoughts I had about grace, what I learned from that book, and then I would go back to the Bible, and I read four books in the Bible over and over and over again. I read Ephesians, uh, um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Okay? Four short letters from Paul because he is, he is trying to explain to the believers in those churches what it means to live by grace, to live out of grace, and to live by faith. And so I began to make a list of the things, the truths found in those four books of the things that God had gifted to me as a believer in Christ, what He had done, what I have in Christ. And here's a partial list. In Christ, I have salvation. I have forgiveness of sin. I have un- unconditional love, imputed righteousness. I've been declared holy and blameless. I have victory in Christ. I'm a child of God. I'm fully accepted by God. There's a cessation of hostility with God. I've escaped God's wrath, the curse, and, the, and slavery of sin. In Christ, I've been transferred from from darkness to the kingdom of the beloved Son. I have an inheritance. I am seated with Christ in the heavenlies. I have the peace of God, and I have peace with God. I have mercy. I have blessing. I have hope. I have freedom. I have power. I have the indwelling Spirit. I have wisdom and insight into truth. I have talents and abilities. I have spiritual gifts. I have ministry opportunity. I have relationships in the body of Christ. God is answering prayer. I have eternal life. And it goes on and on and on and on. It's what's in that convoy of trucks that have been delivered to you at the moment you put your trust in Christ uh, to be your personal savior. It's abiding grace. It is Him giving us everything that we need to live a godly life with spiritual vitality. So we're to live this life out, this extravagant and all-inclusive supply of abiding grace as a daily part of our life. This grace is supposed to shape us. It's supposed to change how we live our life. It's supposed to to influence how we think and how we feel and what we do in such a way that our life becomes this fragrant aroma to the living God because we're living out grace. We're living out of that supply that we have. We're not in want. He's done all that we need and given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Here's what I've realized. As I unpack those trucks full of God's grace, His favor toward me, I become overwhelmed that I don't deserve it. The riches just keep coming. The favor keeps being shown. I get more and more, and I look at this, these kind of list of what Christ has done for me, and I go, God, I utterly don't deserve it. And at that point, I begin to understand how truly amazing grace is because I don't deserve it. It's the way He chooses to relate to me, the way He chooses to relate to you. He's gifted you everything that you need for life and godliness. It's supposed to change how we live. We're not supposed to live the way we were living or how we're living, or how the world teaches us to live, we're supposed to live differently. We're supposed to live by faith. Faith. Taking God at his word that what he says is true about us, what he says is true about our circumstances, what he says is true about life, what he says he's gifted to us is truer than what we feel and what we experience in our daily life. We're supposed to live a life by faith. In, in Galatians 2.20, it says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, right here, right now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We're supposed to live by faith. Grace changes us. It changes how we look at life and how we view life and how we do life. It's supposed to be grace that transforms. That's what abiding grace does. See, because we realize that our life is wrapped up in Christ, it is no longer me living in the flesh. It is Christ living in and through me. I get to be a conduit of his power. I get to be a conduit of his love. I get to be a conduit of his grace. In Romans 1, uh, 17, it says, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from the first to the last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. We're supposed to live by faith now out of grace. Now, let me clarify something, because two weeks ago when I talked about being saved by grace, I said we're saved by grace through faith. Now I'm talking about living life out of grace by faith, through faith, by faith. When we're saved, when we come into saving grace, faith is the doorway in which we cross into that. We open up the doorway and we cross in and and accept what Jesus has done for us. Now once we've crossed that threshold, we're supposed to be living by faith constant daily dependence upon God. It's my soul saying every morning when I wake up, God, I don't know what this day has in store, but I know this, I can't do it without you. Would you live your life in and through me today? Would you help make the choices I need to make today to live a godly life? Would you give me the the resources I need to do that out of your grace, out of the abundance, the extravagance, the all-inclusive supply of abiding grace in my life? It's saying I can't do life without you. We move from passing through uh, grace through faith to saving grace, and then we're to walk by faith uh, going forward. So we come to to Christ by grace through faith, but what happens to us? We switch, we revert back, we revert back to self-effort. Billy Graham once said decades ago that 90 to 95% of the believers in the world were living frustrated and defeated lives. They weren't experiencing the fullness of God's grace in their life. Well, why is that? Here's what happens. God chooses to communicate to you and I in the language of grace. You don't deserve it. I'm going to show favor to you, and you. I want you to live out of that favor by faith. But what do we do? We don't speak the language of grace too well. We speak the language of self-effort. And so we approach the Christian life, now that we're saved in Christ, and we approach life, we say, what am I supposed to do? So we approach reading our Bible, and we look for all those lists that said, here's what a good Christian's supposed to do. And some of us are really good at this, right? We know how to master a list. We know how to master our behavior. And, be, and we're thinking in our mind, God is so pleased. God is so pleased with this. Look at what I did for him. Look at how I'm living my life and showing him that I deserve his favor. That's sick. It's wrong. It's the world's performance trap that we live in. That's our native language, is performance. We want to do. And, and on top of that, we're Americans. I mean, we're we're supposed to be the best at this in the world, right, doing. So we take the favor of God that he says you don't deserve. I'm going to give it to you so extravagantly. If you would understand that, you would realize how much you don't deserve it. And we say, God, I'm going to show you how much I deserve your favor. It's not a gift then. It's not supposed to be for us to boast how we live our life so well. We're missing it. We're warping God's language of grace into a language of performance. It's the world's trap. It's of the devil, folks. We're supposed to live out of grace by faith. I I first trusted Christ in saving grace when I was 16 years old. I called out to God and said, I can't live this life the way I want to, I'm incredibly disappointed in how it's going. All those things that a 16-year-old were important, right? In that despair, I called out to God. I knew something was different at that point in time. I knew he loved me. I knew he forgave my sins and all those things. But I was spiritually ignorant. So for the next five years of my life, it was up and down spiritually. I was incredibly frustrated. I would turn over a good leaf and say, God, I'm going to show you just how good Ray Anderson can be. Okay, So I'd quit drinking, I'd quit cussing, i quit doing all these sorts of things, and I could be good for about three days. That was it. And then I'd slip back into my own patterns, and I, then I'd say, God, I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I repent, I turn from that. I'm going to try harder. And I want a lot of credit from you, God, for the sincerity of my effort. That's not how God wanted to have a relationship with me. He gifted me grace. He showed me favor. Jesus did all these things for me, and I'm supposed to live out of those. And so when I was 21, it finally clicked that I couldn't do the Christian life on self-effort, that I needed to trust God. I began the process of unpacking the convoy of trucks called Abiding Grace that Jesus had already provided for me. I'm still unpacking those boxes 40 years later. This sabbatical, it's like I opened up things that I, it's like, oh my goodness, Lord, I needed that years ago. Where was it? In the box, buddy. Unpack the boxes. Live out of abiding grace. Now, we need to build a church community here at Grace that supports this. Most of our effort as pastors and elders and lay leaders is trying to encourage you to unpack the boxes. Look at what Scripture has to say to you about grace, about living by faith. And we want to build communities that you get connected into, whether it's a life group or adult community on Sunday, or sometimes it's just engaging in service because as you teach this to someone else, you have to think about it more deeply than yourselves. But we, we need to be a church that is encouraging each other regularly to live out of grace and to do so by faith. Here's what I want to encourage you to do so that you can grasp this concept of abiding grace. I want to encourage you in the next several weeks, during the month of August, it starts tomorrow, okay, read the four books I was reading, uh, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, okay, G-E-P-C, General Electric Power Company, okay? (laughs) Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, and Colossians, okay? Read those books, and I want you to look for two things as you read them, okay? One is I want you to begin to make a list of what God says is true about you in Christ. Earlier we read that Ephesians 1 passage. I read my list those things came as I I was reading those books and just listing out, here's what Christ says for me that says is true of me in Christ, okay? Make that kind of list for yourself. Now, some of you are gonna have a problem with this because I've had people do this for years. I said, read this book, list out what you wanna do. They, They make this list, come back to you. says, don't you understand God's grace here that he's given you these things? He says these things are true. And they'll go, oh, I know it's true of you, Ray, but it's not true of me. That's of the devil. He lies to you. Those things are true of you, not because you deserve it, but because of what Jesus did. You got everything you need for life and godliness as an act of power from God not because of what you did. So make a list of those things that, that, that Scripture is telling you is true of you. The second thing I'd like you to do as you go through there is look at those times where, where uh, Paul, particularly in these four books, is using the term grace. Sometimes like Ephesians 2, he's, he's talking about saving grace. A lot of other times he's just talking about of living out of grace. Look at the context of when he uses uh, that term grace. Sometimes he'll contrast it with self-effort. At those moments, pause and think about how much self-effort you give to your Christian life. The further I give myself to self-effort in the Christian life, the further I get away from God's grace. We need to walk toward God's grace and understand it's his favor toward us. It's abiding grace. It's supposed to shape us how we think, how we feel, how we do life, but then there's times or maybe even periods of time or seasons of time where life gets particularly hard. It gets overwhelming and God gives a fourth expression of grace in those times. It's called sufficient grace sufficient grace. Sufficient grace, excuse me, is a special response of grace to address a special need in our life at a given period or moment of time. It's a special response of grace to address a special need in our life at a moment of time. It is like a special delivery to us. God seeing a need in our life, or we seeing a need in our life, and asking God particularly for some help in this situation. So he gives us a special delivery of that. He gives us his special, his precious and magnificent promises in his Bible. So here's an example of it. Let's say you're in a given situation where you're navigating a difficult relationship. Or maybe it's a situation at work for you that's getting particular kind of tense and, and maybe politics are involved in this. And uh, you're struggling as a believer, do you join in the lies or the deception or, or whatever it is? Or how do you live in this moment of time during this particular difficulty? And so you ask God for wisdom, and according to his precious promise in James 1.5 that says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. Without finding fault. He's not saying, how did you get in this situation anyway? Okay? He gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Do you lack wisdom in that situation James three seventeen he explains what that wisdom looks like. He said, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. It's a special delivery of grace to meet a special need in our life. It's a precious promise that we claim in prayer before him. Maybe you're in a situation where you're growing weary or you have a physical ailment and what you need is strength. And so Paul had that situation. He called it his thorn in the flesh. He asked God three times to remove it from him. And this was God's answer to him in 2 Corinthians 12. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that the Christ power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties, for when I am weak, I am strong. Do you need strength? Do you need a special delivery, expression of grace in your life, God's favor to you in a moment of time? You can ask for that. Maybe you're in a situation where there's a lot of chaos all around you. It's creating anxiety on your part, maybe stressing you out because of the circumstances you're in. And what you need is peace. And we can claim God's promise in John 14 when Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. I do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Or in Second Thessalonians, Paul writes, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Peace an expression of God's sufficient grace in our life at a given moment in time. Maybe you're grieving loss, uh, the loss of someone or something that was important to you, and what you need is comfort. And we can claim the promise in 2 Corinthians 1, picking it up there in the middle of it, it says, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us all, Comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. In Psalm 119.76 it says, May your unfailing love be my comfort according to your promise to your servant. Do you see it? Sufficient grace, a unique expression of God, God's grace, God's favor in our time of need. It is those precious and magnificent promises that God gifted us. He gave to us so that we can live life out in the world. Again, back to the Second Peter passage, verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 4. Through these, he has given to us His great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Sufficient grace. Sufficient grace comes by us asking in faith, Lord, I see in your word it promises you'll do this. Would you come and do that now? would just show up in this area of my life where I have a particular need at this particular point in time. It's how we should be praying for those around us, our friends and family and neighbors and and people at the office, when they have a particular need in their life. We pray God's sufficient grace into that. We pray his presence into there. It's saying to God, sufficient grace is saying, Lord, I need you. We sang that song earlier. I need you now. I need you in this way. Minister to me according to your precious and magnificent promises. Grace is compelling us to live by faith. For us as believers, we have these two particular expressions of grace, abiding grace and sufficient grace that we're to live by. Now, as I look out and see and, and have ministered now for decades to people, some people get it and some people don't. And, oh, I long for all of them to get it, all of them to understand and unpack that convoy of truck of abiding grace that's been delivered to them, for them to live out of who what God says is true about them independent of their circumstances, independent of how they feel, independent of whether or not they deserve it or not, because they don't deserve it. None of us do. We're to live it out. We get it or don't get it by faith. Faith is what connects with grace and makes it active in our life. In Hebrews 4.2, it says, For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those that heard. As a pastor, I want to appeal to you, live your life out of the abundance and the extravagance and the all-inclusiveness of God's grace to you. Live out what God says is true about you. Let grace transform you. Let it shape you. Unpack those boxes, go deeper and understand it more so that you can live a life by faith. And then in those moments, we come alongside each other and say, God, would you give sufficient grace in this time of need? Would you show your presence here? Let us draw before your throne of grace that we might receive mercy and grace in the time of need in this situation sufficient grace. So, God has chosen to speak to mankind through at least four expressions of God's grace. Common grace, showing favor to all mankind, ascribing value and purpose, uh, even uh, withholding punishment from sin for a season, for letting even, even those who don't care about him to prosper, That's an example of how we're supposed to live out grace in front of nonbelievers around us, showing that same kind of value and favor. Then he's given us the expression of saving grace, the work of Christ to forgive our sins, to overcome our shame, and to deal with our fear, to bring us into right relationship with him, a relationship based on grace, not works. And then as we cross that threshold and we enter this this life called the Christian life, we're supposed to live it out of abiding grace, that grace that he has imparted to us as believers. We live it out, and we live it out by faith. And in those moments of time where we get overwhelmed, where it seems bigger than our circumstances seem bigger than our faith, then we ask for sufficient grace a ministry of God and a spirit in our life to help us in those times of need. People of grace, let's live by grace, by faith together. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, my words fail to communicate the significance of your language of grace to us. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you administer to the lives of these hearers, that you would help them understand the abundance, the extravagance, the all-inclusiveness, and that they do not deserve it, but you give amazing grace. Let us walk in it, let it be our, their deepest breath, our most satisfying thought be of what you have done for us in Christ Jesus and live it out as people of faith. We entrust ourselves to you for that purpose, to your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.